All right, you heard it there, live from Buffalo Bills training camp here at St. John Fisher University. We're going to go to the Wester Hotline now because joining me to talk some Bills and maybe a little bit of Seahawks too, if we're lucky, is ESPN's Mina Kai. Mina, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Uh, I appreciate you taking some time for us. Hey, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So uh, I feel like before we can talk about the upcoming 2022 season, we should just, I know, I'm sorry, Bills fan, just rewind just a little bit to the end of last year to ask you a little bit about that divisional game. Because for me, it has to be Josh, Josh Allen's ceiling, really the 2021 playoff run in general, Mina. And, and I'm just kind of wondering, well, first of all, it feels criminal that they didn't win a Super Bowl with those first two performances against you know the Patriots and the Chiefs. But thinking about where they were at the end of last year, that some of the things that have changed, a new offensive coordinator this year. What are your expectations coming off of those last two performances for Josh Allen and this Bills offense this year? Well, I'm kind of in line with everyone. I mean, it feels like everyone where I have the Bills penciled in as a Super Bowl favorite. Um, you know, just ahead of this season uh, for my podcast, Mina Comedy Show featuring Lenny, check it out. I do division previews and we go kind of through the depth charts, look at the holes, try to find holes, and boy, is it hard to find holes with this Bills team. Yeah, you're right, and I mean, they. I think everyone talking about the Bills being in a Super Bowl window is fun and games, but I think it's more of the acknowledgement from this organization, from the people at the top making the decisions, Brandon Bean, sort of signaling that they know they're in that window by going out and signing Von Miller, and I know we've been talking about it, but it feels like the franchise is also talking about it, too, at least internally. Yeah, I mean, gosh, this is one of those off-seasons where you just are trying – not to buy into the hype, I guess, right? Yeah. Or you're, you're, yeah. It is one of those things where everything seems to be lining up for Buffalo so well that you almost don't want to get um, lost in those preseason expectations. Uh, and, and I guess I'll just say this, you know, there are potential pitfalls with this roster, as there are with any Super Bowl favorite. I mean, you know, Tampa, I think, um, just a few days ago, I was saying, wow, it's so hard to find – I did an NFC South preview. Wow, it's so hard to find holes with this team – and really you're looking at uh, the roster and you're thinking, okay, maybe it, it really is just looking at depth, and all of a sudden they lose their starting center who's one of the best centers in the NFL, and you're reminded how quickly things can turn even for the best teams in the NFL. ESPN's Mina Kimes joining us here on the West Her Hotline. Brian Dable out, Ken Dorsey in. Knowing this was the, that this was Cam Newton's quarterback coach in 2015 in that Super Bowl run for Carolina, without knowing what exactly is going to change under Ken Dorsey, Mina, what are your expectations for Allen mm-hmm. in the offense, considering we do know how that team, that 2015 uh, – I'm sorry, Panthers team, Carolina Panthers team. Yeah. A lot of the, I mean, Brandon Bean's in that organization. Sean McDermott's the defensive coordinator. There's a lot of parallels probably to that team and now, although I would think at this point they've learned their lesson about maybe overrunning their quarterback. So are you going to see maybe less running or at least designed runs from Josh Allen this year? I hope so. You know, I think this is one of the biggest questions, the only questions really we had about Buffalo, um, which is, you know, what kind of continuity there's going to be with the coordinator position. And I would say whether there'd be any um, progress or development in sort of the evolution of this offense, which is really a fascinating offense to watch over the course of the 2021 season, you know, starting against the Steelers without running the ball at all, objectively refusing to, and then Dable kind of leaning more into the run game, uh, you know, getting the tight ends, the fullback involved, even uh, Reggie Gilliam as the year went on in response to the way defenses were playing them with those two high shells. One imagines that defenses are going to continue playing that that way, especially since, you know, with Gabriel Davis and, uh, as wide receiver two, 
you have so much speed on this team. And I think for Dorsey, the pressure is, okay, how do you respond? Uh, especially how do you respond in a way where you're not giving Josh Allen too many carries? Granted, a lot of his carries were on scrambles as well. Uh, and I think, you know, the drafting of James Cook back out of Georgia, sort of a third down back, speaks to that. Uh, bringing in O.J. Howard, yep. the desire to say, okay, we, we've got, you know, a change-up where we can go heavy and we can work underneath and we can uh, use a power running game if you're going to play us that way. The other thing, too, Mino, with that same idea in mind here is that you have guys that are maybe – we keep talking about it here at training camp, tr- cross-training, right? The ability for Reggie Gilliam, who started his career in Buffalo as an undrafted free agent as a tight end then moved to fullback, we're seeing a lot more of him sort of as like a de facto H-back. So you're seeing him. You're seeing O.J. Howard and, and Dawson Knox on the field at the same time. Like maybe this is more of a, a leaning into being more multiple in terms of formations this year for the Bills. That doesn't mean that they'll become more of a run team but maybe you'll see more 13 personnel maybe you'll see more 22 where you got two backs two two tight ends in, in a situation where you're going to get and dictate matchups that way in personnel groupings rather than knowing okay here's how that that two deep shell uh we know that de- defenses are going to try to run that against josh allen but it's not just josh yeah. allen it's these it's these high octane passing offenses but if you can start to dictate personnel groupings maybe you can force teams out of those looks hundred percent. And it's, I was trying to remember the game last year where I was literally, it might've been versus the Patriots later in the season where I, 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 NFL live, we were talking about it. And I think I noticed, I was like, wow, Reggie Gilliam just had more snaps in one yeah. game. Yes, it was the Patriots had. game. Yep. Was it the Patriots? Okay. Yep. And I think that really was Brian Dable saying, Hey, you know, we are going to be more multiple. And so I think that's the biggest question for Ken Dorsey right now. It's okay. How do you continue to keep that going and just make sure you have uh, you know, a variety of answers to whatever problems you're getting from defenses. Yeah, and listen, I mean, this offseason, obviously the Von Miller kind of was the, the dot on the eye for this offseason, but they also were able to extend Stephon Diggs. And in an offseason where you watched Super Bowl contenders essentially walk away from their top receivers, Green Bay with Devontae Adams. Now, I, I'm sure there was more of a willingness there from Green Bay to match whatever number was being given by by the Raiders, but it was apparent that Adams wanted to move on. And, and obviously Tyreek Hill to, to the Miami Dolphins. With, with the inflation happening at that position in terms of overall money and contracts being being handed out to wide receivers how important was it for for Brandon Bean Josh Allen in this offense retaining Stephon Diggs and keeping those two together long term you know it was really important and it was really interesting because as you said a lot of teams with high paid high-end quarterbacks Rodgers and Mahomes opted to go to the draft to address the wide receiver position the Bills did not they decided to go cornerback which I think was obviously the the biggest need on this roster uh, instead of, you know, and, and to keep Diggs and to, uh, while Josh Allen still, you know, he's, he's, he, I would say his, his contract this year is pretty reasonable, but, sure. um, you it know, just inflated. saying, okay, we, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, well, yeah, we, we, we want to pay our wide receiver and go elsewhere um, for, you know, in the draft. And I thought that was a really interesting move um, because every kind of team in the NFL right now is kind of making that choice. And it's pretty unusual, I think, you know, you saw more of those high end receivers going to teams with, uh, cheap quarterbacks, Miami, for example, uh, being, you know, one. So I think I would say another one, a good example is Philadelphia, right, with A.J. Brown moving. I I think it was the right move just because, you know, we really, I mean, Josh Allen's development, which is, of course, historically unprecedented, did coincide, I think, with the arrival of Stephon Diggs and their chemistry is so uh, tremendous that, to me, Buffalo made the right decision in just sticking with him and just kind of going for some continuity there as they go all in on this season.
ESPN's Mina Kimes here joining us on the Western Hall. I mean, I got two more for you, and I'm going to kind of turn my attention to the AFC West. The Chiefs and Chargers, you know, we saw those two matchups in the regular season last year, and you're talking about Bills Chiefs in the divisional round. Well, I think you're sliding the Chargers Chiefs matchups we got to watch last year. What's your take on how that division shakes out when you consider the, the loss of Tyreek Hill for the Chiefs? It's really hard to order those teams, and I think I've ordered them every possible way. Um, for me, it's kind of I, I've got the Chiefs and the Chargers at one and two, and it's gone. I've gone back and forth. I think what my hesitation with the Chiefs is actually less the offense, which I think is going to continue to be very good, uh, and more the defense being sort of dependent on a couple of rookies in Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis. Whereas the Chargers' defense was, you know, very bad last year, especially against the run, and they went out and just paid a premium for a number of players like J.C. Jackson trading for Khalil Mack. But I, I think I kind of lean L.A. at the moment just because those are experienced veterans, even if it's a sort of good on paper roster right now. All right. I got to back you into a corner here, and I want to hear a sales pitch of sorts. And I'm hoping you're going to give me some some good vibes here because, listen, I'm, I, I'm just going to tell you, I'm in it bad in a dynasty league, and uh, Drew Locke is kind of a make-or-break player for me. Is Ooh. I know. Um, yeah, I, I have the same reaction as well. Um, but thinking about this year, I, I guess for me, you know, I look at it like you know exactly what you have in Geno Smith. And I don't know what you're going to learn by having Geno Smith play football for you this year in a rebuilding year where you're likely going to take a quarterback at the top of next year's draft anyways. Is it the smart move to just see if there is something unearthed there with Drew Locke, knowing you've got DK Metcalf coming back and no fans there. Their top three weapons are, are pretty good um, in Seattle right now. So I'm wondering, like, is the smart move Drew Locke, and is the smart move going to be the move that they make, or is this just a franchise that's looking to win as many games as they can? Um, what you just said kind of like, oh, let's see what we got in Drew Locke. I just heard that in Denver. You know, this is not a yeah, Drew Lock is not a. I mean, th- th- that was the same refrain I would say before last season with the Broncos. He's not an unknown quantity, right? Where you're just, uh, you know, I don't like a Malik Willis or a Desmond Ritter or whatever from this year, or even a guy who, who didn't get a shot. We, I think Drew Lock did get a pretty fair shot in Denver. Um, that said, obviously the competition with Geno Smith is not particularly stiff. So I, you know, I think with those two quarterbacks, um, they're very different stylistically. Uh, I think it's going to come down to whether offensive coordinator in Seattle, Shane Waldron, thinks that Locke or Smith is better suited for his particular offense. But I think everyone in Seattle should be aware, I don't know, (laughs) that this is a transition year as they look ahead to drafting a quarterback in 2023. Mina, thank you so much for joining me on your Saturday. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, Enjoy the, I guess, is this now downtime a little bit for you until the start actually of the I'm, I'm about to go to rams camp so it's not downtime oh, okay. today but uh thanks for having me of course thanks so much mina we appreciate you Bye. mina kimes there on our Wester hotline from espn and always great stuff for mina and you know i, I again kind of talking about the rest of the league and, and and imagining what she's talking about there a little bit with the chiefs and chargers you know that division i think is right i think that's the right way um it's the right way to kind of go about that division which is i think you can probably list it any way you want i think if you're a person and, and maybe this is i might be the only one here um who who's in this camp but i think people are are sleeping on the Raiders a bit. And, and I know um, they're the Raiders, Derek Carr, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but uh, Devontae Adams, that trio of pass catchers, Adams, Renfro, and um, 
no, I, I can't remember. Oh, uh, Darren Waller, right? You have, I think, in that division, the best three pass catchers, the best trio of pass catchers, and that's a division with good ones. Denver has, you know, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, uh, Alberto at tight end. Um, you know, they've got uh, K.J. Hamler in that room as well, Tim Patrick as well. Then you go over to Kansas City, where it looks like Juju um, is, is going to – you know, potentially have a nice little season there in Kansas City. They've they drafted Sky Moore. Um, you know, they've got some pieces um, at the wide receiver position, and then obviously the Chargers with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. And they did go out. Um, Zach, who did who did they go out and get the the tight end? Uh, the Chargers. I Former am Ram. For, oh um oh man. He's always somewhat of a disappointment, and yes, I'm but he's trying got to this, think. He's like speed and kind of has got that athleticism. What that? I'm going to do the thing that I do on my podcast every night, which is basically just live search, Google search. Um, so I'm going to Chargers. It's going to make me so mad when I when – I'm, I'm probably going to think of it when – not Jared Cook, no. Come on, Nate. How do, how do you forget Gerald Everett? Good lord. Okay, well, I mean, that explains why we sort of forgot Come about on, it. Come though, Zach. I mean, both neither of us picking that up. That's that. That's a bad look for us. That's a bad look for us. Um, but Gerald Everett, right? So there's some pass catchers there, and I don't know. I keep looking at the division, and I keep saying, "All right, well, four teams aren't making the playoffs from that division, but three probably are." I just think right now people are absolutely sleeping on the Raiders, um, and for whatever reason. I want to be the guy that maybe says I'm not going to be the one sleeping on them. I just think that Derek Carr is probably one of the least talked about quarterbacks in the NFL, just in terms of guys that maybe don't get the respect that actual franchise quarterbacks run. Like he is, say what you will, a franchise quarterback. Um, And so I, I think for me, when you're talking about franchise quarterbacks, it's important that you look at the weapons around them. And everybody in that division has a true stable of weapons that could allow them to push for an AFC championship and could be could push for a Super Bowl. And, you know, now seeing that Juju Smith-Schuster looks to be, you know, kind of quote-unquote popping off during Chiefs camp, I think that's an important thing for them. I, and listen, I, don't get it twisted. And, and I see people that are covering the Chiefs or that, that are at Chiefs training camp. You know, could the Chiefs offense be better without Tyreek Hill? Give me a break. Um, like, and, and I think... More than likely, Chiefs fans are never going to fully appreciate how good Tyreek Hill is because they're not going to take some meteoric step back. They're not going to take some giant step back as an offense. They're still going to have Patrick Mahomes. They're still going to have Travis Kelsey. Orlando Brown Jr. is an interesting wrinkle in this whole thing. If they don't have their franchise left tackle and they can't figure out a way to keep him under contract, we, I think, um, I don't know, if was I talking to somebody from the Chiefs that were covering the Chiefs? But listening in and hearing them talk about Orlando Brown Jr., like that's a franchise that has basically said to Tyreek Hill, we're not going to pay you top dollar. We're not going to make you the highest paid wide receiver in football. When you're paying Patrick Mahomes 200 whatever, $300 million over the next 10 years, you can't be a team that's going out and paying your wide receiver top market money. You can't go out and pay your left tackle as the number one starting left tackle in football. And let's be honest, Orlando Brown Jr. is a nice piece. He's not Trent Williams. You know, he's probably closer to Deion Dawkins than he is to Trent Williams. And, and listen, I get he's in a position, a negotiating and leverage power position. Someone will pay Orlando Brown Jr. top of dollar. It's just not going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. And does he value being, you know, the fifth or the seventh best 
paid offensive tackle, left tackle in football if it means he gets to be a part of a franchise that's going to be competing for Super Bowls every year with the best quarterback in football. I'm not sure that's that guy. Like, I, I think Orlando Brown Jr. is looking to get his, and he doesn't matter if it's in Kansas City or if it's in Jacksonville. And I think if you're Orlando Brown Jr., you've got that kind of leverage. And I'm not sure he didn't sign his free uh, his franchise tag tender. It's very likely he's going to sit out until at least the end of training camp. And if he doesn't walk onto the field week one with that franchise tag tender, um, I think Kansas City's going to be in a tough spot. I don't know who they've got to replace him at left tackle, but he's not Orlando Brown Jr. And again, he's a top five talent in the league at the position. And they're just not in the ability or the market right now to pay a guy top dollar. Look at the bills. If Stephon Diggs stood up and said, I want $30 million a year like Devontae Adams, and I want a hundred and, you know, 30 mil. I want I want a, a 30 million per year and I want to be fully guaranteed. I'm not sure that the Bills don't trade Stephon Diggs this offseason. Like, they were able to bring Diggs back on a team-friendly enough contract that still gave him the, 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 the type of money he deserved at the top of his position but wasn't setting the market. And I think the thing about Brandon Bean that he's done so masterfully about these contract extensions to key players in this franchise is, you know, Josh Allen's contract right now looks like a bargain. By the way, so does Patrick Mahomes' contract. When you're considering what Deshaun Watson got, $230 million guaranteed, and you are you just saw what Kyler Murray got, who's making more than Josh Allen, after having a homework clause put in his contract, then removed from his contract, how that franchise bungled that will never quite sit well with me. But you look around the league, and you keep thinking about these teams, and you know what's going to happen with Tremaine Edmonds? I don't know. I'm of the mind that this franchise probably would like to, to re-sign and extend Tremaine Edmonds. Will they have enough money to do that? Extend Ed Oliver. Extend Dawson Knox. Um, and you, you start to look across. You want to be able to retain the guys you draft. Gabriel Davis, right, is another guy. But at a certain point, you've got to, so you've got to pick and choose, and what you have to continue to do is draft really well behind him. And it's not just about drafting guys in the first round. It's about getting guys like Khalil Shakir in the fifth round who – are right now at least exceeding expectations and their expectations for Khalil Shakir walking into the season it's not like they were low um so the fact that he is exceeding expectations that were pretty like a pretty high level of expectations for Khalil Shakir um is 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 really important to how that position the wide receiver group continues to develop right and you talk about the tight end position right now Dawson Knox in year four really sort of ready to to take that next step to be a top five tight end in the league and then across the offensive line you hear Tommy Doyle and him going down to guard and playing tackle and guard and that's going to be huge for his development moving forward can Spencer Brown be a top 15 top 20 player at the right tackle position I think he's got that potential this year can he be healthy can he show that this year so you start to look around this roster and you start to realize very quickly that they're in a great position regardless of what the contract situations are going to continue playing out here over the next couple of years. And you look at Kansas City, and although they've paid their quarterback like the Bills have paid Josh Allen, they're make, having to make conscious decisions. Listen, they paid a lot of money to Chris Jones. They restructure Travis Kelsey. They're, they have Travis Kelsey on the deal of a century. I mean, Travis Kelsey is by far. And listen, I mean, this is not a slight to George Kittle. I know he's a fantastic tight end. But Travis Kelsey is far and away the best pass-catching tight end in football, and he might be the best pass-catching tight end ever. And I know, Tony Gonzalez is great. Rob Gronkowski is one of the best ever. 
But you can't – the uniqueness, the variety of ways that Travis Kelsey can beat you in the pass game is unmatched in NFL history. He's the uh, – Shannon Sharp's probably the closest guy you're getting to Travis Kelsey. And frankly, I like Shannon Sharp, I think, a little bit more. Um, so I, I, I just – I keep thinking about this team and I keep thinking about where they are and the position they've put themselves in because of the smart contract – the smart contracts they've handed out in a year, two years, three years down the line, Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, whatever they signed Ed Oliver to, whatever they signed Dawson Knox to, those will all look smart down the line as well. And I think I think Brandon Bean has earned that trust and earned that respect that those contracts down the line will be as smart and as good as the one he's handed out recently. Okay, going to go back to the Western Hotline now because joining me is my good friend Brian Koziel, who is here to join me to talk a little bit. A, we'll talk a little Bills here, but we're also going to talk about the Duster Challenge. And if you've never taken part in the Duster Challenge, even if you're not a golf fan, even if you're just a putt-putt fan, what a fun event last year at Glen Oak Golf Course in East Amherst. Um, they turned their giant putting green into an 18-hole course uh, where it's, it's basically a competition to crown Western New York's best putter. So, Brian... Uh, I hope I didn't steal too much of the thunder in the explanation of the, of the Duster Challenge. It's one of my favorite events of the year. It's it's sort of like circle your calendar for the Duster Challenge. Tell the folks um, if they are just hearing about it for the first time or or maybe they're considering going and, and, and joining the Duster Challenge this year. Talk a little bit about what you guys do it for, what charities it's helping, um, and why someone uh, might want to come down to, uh, to Amherst at, at Glen Oak, which, by the way, is one of my favorite um, public courses in western New York. Yeah, Nate, no, you did a great job. Thank you. Um... We essentially do what you said. We The huge putting green in Glen Oak, we turn it into an 18-hole uh, putting course. And Dan Googie, the superintendent there, does a great job. Uh, he kind of gets out there, and uh, Jeff Metis from C to Green and myself, and we kind of design the layout of what we want the 18 holes to be. And last year we had 72 golfers, and we had two waves of 36 go out and putt. So, you go out there and putt with maybe, you know, your friend that you come with or a buddy, or we assign somebody randomly. If you don't have to come by yourself and uh, you go around and putt and you come in and all the people from the Western PGA are there with their big electronic scoreboard and you get to see your name and lights, which is fun, right? Yep. Everybody wants to see their name on the scoreboard and uh, you you tell us what you had. And uh, then from there, the top 16 golfers advance, we call it to a uh, quote, make the cut. And then from there, we do uh, nine-hole match play putoffs, like the number one versus number 16, number two versus number 15, three versus 14, and so on. And eventually, we get it down to the championship where we crown, as you said, Western New York best putter. By then, we have lights. We have portable lights that yep. are out on the Glen Oak putting green. And uh, in between, when you're not putting, we have dinner and we've got drinks and we've got raffles and a lot of PGA pros – across Western New York to donate um, golf stuff, whether it's uh, foursomes at, you know, maybe a lot of these country clubs that people won't have an opportunity to ever get at, you know, a chance to go play some of these courses um, or uh, balls or clubs. We've got a 50-50, some other things. I know the Western PGA, we also last year, we gave away a weekly pass to the PGA Championship. And I know how tickets have been going and it's tough right now. So we're going to have some of those too. Um, some tickets to give away to next year's PGA Championship, which is just right down the road where you're right. at at Oak Hill. So, uh, and the it's it's just a super fun night. You know, you don't have to, as you said, you don't have to be a, a quote uh, expert golfer or anything like that. You can sign up if you want to bring your son or your daughter and make it a fun uh, parent-child night. You can do that too. And the whole idea, of course, 
uh, beyond having the fun of the putting, uh, is that we raise money for the Western York PGA Reach Foundation, and that gives back to military veterans to give them golf experiences to try to get them back to normal life and thinking about things that aren't related to them being in the military. And I know Jeff Metis, our, our great PGA pro from T to Green, Tim Freeze, PGA pro from uh, uh, from Glen Oak, uh, Don Schneider from Pendleton Creek, PGA pro. So a lot of these other PGA pros across Western New York have done a lot of work with these veterans and uh, they just said, like, it's it's extremely valuable to them kind of getting some normal life back. So that's what the whole night's about. We try to raise as much money as we can for that PGA Reach Foundation. So, Brian, um, moving to uh, to the Bills, to Bills training camp, obviously today they finished up their first day of pads. Um, you know, I – Obviously, I think the Bills dodged a big-time bullet. Obviously, yesterday, the talk of Twitter uh, was the Micah Hyde injury getting carted off the field. There was a lot of anxiety, a lot of concern. Luckily, it just seems like a day-to-day injury. He was out in the field. He was walking. He wasn't practicing or in pads or anything. But knowing how important he and Jordan Poyer are to this defense, like, is there maybe, a, a, other than Josh Allen going down, God forbid, you know, knock on wood with injury, is there, would there been a bigger maybe loss other than, like, Von Miller maybe? We don't even really know what he looks like in this defense yet. Like, it feels like Micah Hyde is, like, the one guy that makes this whole defense work, he, knowing how important Jordan Poyer also is. But, like, Hyde sort of has that, like, everything works easier with him out there. He's got the calming presence back there that I think probably allows the rest of the D to kind of feel like they can do what they do, so... Yeah, it. Yesterday when I when we were getting the news about it, my goodness, like I was having that thought of man, when's the last time the Bills had like a significant training camp injury? Because yeah. at first when we didn't know what it was, that was immediately going through my head. And of course, the news of Ryan Jensen, the Tampa center from the day before, thinking like, man, um, you know, the, the Bills have been knock on wood pretty good uh, mm-hmm. in this area, and. I think one thing, too, you've got to give credit for, Nate, and I know you've probably talked about it many times. Part of the reason that uh, this last few years of success has been there is that relatively they've gotten through okay without major injuries. Now, some people might argue if Trey White's got a field in Kansas City last year, maybe that doesn't happen. I'd be willing to listen to it. But in general, if you look at the course of since the Bills have been a legitimate threat in the AFC with Josh Allen, Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, like they've been pretty relatively on the good side of the injury bug when it comes to comparison to some of these other NFL teams. So credit the Bills training and strength and conditioning and, and doc team doctors and all their staff and the players themselves too for whether it's uh, keeping themselves in good condition to keep themselves out of injury because they've been pretty good. And I think, you know, if Hyde had gone down, I mean, that's a, that's a, I, I want to say, like, just as much physically as it is in the field, but mentally, like, he's such a leader on this team. Yeah. And I think it would have been a, a major blow to the psyche of this team with already Tredavious White still not back. All right, so I think you'll find this incredible, like, this that this tracks, but they, uh, they gave us a big old media guide. Like, I mean, this is hundreds of pages, uh, Brian. And under Sean McDermott, that just happened to be the page of the wind blew it open to, and I was just kind of looking through it during the break. And they ask the coach, you know, what's your favorite athlete, your favorite movie, that kind of, just, you know, pop culture stuff. Would it surprise you at all that growing up, Sean McDermott's favorite athlete was Brian Bosworth? <laughs> no i mean my goodness if you played defense 
uh, in football, like in high school when you yeah. were a youngster the in boss. the 80s, like the yeah. boss was it, right? I mean, the sunglasses, the haircut, the cutoff Joe jersey. Cool. Right, it's Joe Cool. The yes, the obsessively large arms that are four times the size of mine. Like, yeah, that <laughs> that guy had it all going for sure. Now, of course, when I think about Brian Bosworth, the funniest highlight I think of is still Bo Jackson running by him yep. on his way to yep. run, running through the tunnel, right, in the kingdom. <laughs> but, no, Boz, that makes sense. But, I mean, he was amazing in college. There's no doubt about it. So, yeah, that seems about right. Mc- yeah, I think that tracks. We had a little of that Bosworth coolness going, I'm sure, when he was playing in his high school days. Yeah, he definitely was an eye black, you know, big neck pad. Like, that That, that had McDermott written all over it. Um, Brian, before I let you go, uh, just remind us again the date for the Duster Challenge, where folks can sign up, um, and just any other information they might need to know if they're uh, if they're interested. Sure. Uh, it's very, very, uh, we hope, affordable donation to participate in the Duster Challenge. It's just $35, and all the proceeds are going to go to – the Western PGA Reach Foundation. Uh, you get dinner, you get drinks, and obviously entry into the putt-off. And, uh, Nate, as you know, we like to see people maybe dress with their finest golf outfits. So if you want to have some fun with some golf outfits for it, go ahead and do so. But the date, Friday, August 12th. So two weeks from last night. Friday, August 12th at Glen Oak at 6 o'clock out on the putting green uh, two easy ways to find the, the link to sign up. You can go to the top of my Twitter page. It's pinned uh, at Brian WGR. The link's right there to the Duster Challenge. Or if you go to the Western York PGA website, which is WNYPGA.com, uh, you just go to that website, and then you just click on the tournaments tab. And when you just look at all the tournaments listed, go down to August 12th, and then there's the Duster right there. You can sign up right online that way. So uh, links on the top of my Twitter page. It's probably the easiest way at Brian WGR, but $35 donation gets you into the whole night. Ton of fun. Bring the family. We'd love to uh, see you there. We're going to crown Western New York's best putter for a great cause. Thanks so much, Brian. Appreciate you, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday afternoon and uh, we'll chat again soon. I'll see you at the Duster Challenge in two weeks. All right, awesome, Nate. Thanks so much. All right, Brian Cozio there on the Western Holland. I'm going to take a timeout. Kenny Maine was on the station earlier this week. We're going to play that back for you. That's coming up next year on WGR. All right, we are going over to Nate Davis, USA Today. He was on with Howard and Jeremy this week. We're going to bring that to you right now. We're going to the Western Hotline. This is going to be cool. Now, we have this gentleman on our show usually once a year, uh, probably usually around the time he does his picks work for USA Today. But this year, holy moly. Nate Davis joining us on the Western Hotline, who earlier this week had the Bills at 15-2, and two, which leads to this question. Nate, it's Howard and Jeremy, first of all. Good morning. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks. Which leads to this question. Your response from Bills fans after 15-2, and two, was it A, awesome, great, we love you, B, two losses? Nate, what the hell's wrong with you? Uh, yeah, I think it's mostly kind of, I mean, and frankly, there hasn't been that much. I mean, the the the, uh, the way this works every year is that uh, only the, the fan bases for, that feel totally insulted are, are the ones that uh Hit my mentions and tell me how dumb I am. Is, Den- uh, which, is Denver coming for you? <laughs> Denver is coming. Cleveland is coming. Pittsburgh. Uh, and, Pittsburgh's got to be coming for you. That's funny. No, I think Pittsburgh. I think their fans are pretty realistic. They, they they've been fine. Uh, and I will say, you know, Bill, Bill's Mafia has had some things to say to me in the past. But uh, I think I think we're, this year they're, uh, they're perhaps 
they're, they're, they're scared by my optimism. So uh, they're, they're staying quiet. But I did not set up to placate them, but I do think they have a fantastic football team to root for. Yeah. So, actually, did you break down all the games? Like, could I ask you who did they lose to? I'm not trying to be a jerk. No, actually, you you can. I actually had them losing to Miami, I think, in week three. And I tend to give a – sorry, I'm walking home from dropping off my son. I tend, I tend to give the Dolphins kind of a win in the humidity of Florida against a northern team a lot of the years early in the season. Uh, and Cincinnati. I think they had Cincinnati mm-hmm. week 15 or 16. So those were the two losses. And the Cincinnati one would have meant because maybe they didn't even need it. <laughs> and you have a three-game gap yeah. in that game late in the season. Right. Yeah, that's what I. That's what. What struck me isn't necessarily that you have the Bills winning the division or that you have the Bills with the best record in the AFC. But what struck us, Nate, was the next best record in your column was Baltimore and Cincinnati at twelve and five. A three-game gap for the one seed is a pretty big gap, and I'm looking at it going, this thing's going to be clinched by mid-December. Yeah, I mean, again, I go through the process. I try to go through it one, two, or three times and kind of space things out, and particularly as as things change. Maybe there are subsequent signings or guys, you know, get hurt as a contract issue, whatever it is. But um, I think I consistently had the Bills, or excuse me, the Browns and the sorry, Bengals and the Ravens at, at twelve and five, and uh, Ravens winning that division on a tiebreaker. But uh, I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't set up to have the Bills have the three-game gap on the rest of, of a conference that I think you know we all think is going to be superior to the NFC. But that, that's how the games, excuse me, came out and. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a bit, a bit of a scrum below them, and they should get comfortably in there. But we'll see what the dogfight looks like once, once they hit the playoffs. We'll ask you about the AFC East in a moment. Nate Davis with us, USA Today. You, in your AFC West, I want to ask you about that, because, again, the, the popular narrative since the, you know, the Russell Wilson acquisition in Denver and eh, maybe you throw in the McDaniels hiring with the Raiders, most people look at the AFC West going, really good top to bottom, they're going to eat themselves up. So let's talk about the AFC West. Jeremy was mentioning Broncos fans because you had them going 8-9, and nine, the Raiders 9-8. and eight. Nobody has fewer than six losses in the AFC West in your in your. Uh, in your picks, yeah, well, that's right. I mean, you guys hit on it. I think when you're when you're as good a division as, as that one projects to be, that there's going to be a certain level of, of eating eating your own tail. I mean, I don't I don't think anyone's going to win. You know, you're not going to see the Chiefs win their win their normal 14, 13 games or whatever this year. And you know, other considerations there. You know, no Tyreek Hill, no no Tyron Matthew. Uh, but but yeah, I think I think that kind of compresses you know th- th- those four teams. And I think in Denver's case. I mean, I think they're going to be a good team. I think they're going to be competitive every week. But you're talking about a new quarterback, Russell Wilson, who doesn't have familiarity with, with, with that with that roster uh, or that coach. You know, first-year head coach and, and, and to boot, new ownership coming in. And, you know, in theory, new owners don't, don't affect the players that much. But sometimes, you know, there, there's going to be Condoleezza Rice probably showing up at practice and different kind of you – know, who, who knows, whatever. I mean, you guys have had new bosses before. And, sure. Sometimes it's transparent. Sometimes it's disruptive. But I think I think that team needs a year, and, and I don't think that that team is necessarily. You know, Matthew Stafford and, and Tom Brady both kind of dropped into turnkey operations where where the roster was set, uh, the coaching staff was set. It just needed the quarterback. To me, the, this team's going to need a little bit more time to gel. Um, I think it's going to be twenty twenty three before they're really you know contending for a title. Nate, in the in the East, okay, so you, you mentioned, you know, Miami, the Bills losing in week three in Miami, but you have the Dolphins missing out on the playoffs, going nine and eight, the Patriots ten and seven, getting a wild card. So a two parter here. Why Miami misses the playoffs, I'm gonna guess you're gonna be talking about Tua at some point, and why New England slightly ahead of Miami. 
Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think I think probably for me, I mean, and, and again, I mean, we're, we're talking about this in, in, in mid-July. as yet to be seeing how injuries play out and other X factors that uh, have, haven't entered the narrative yet. But um, Tua's got a lot to prove this year. The pressure's on him. You know, you know amazingly, he's going to – this is his fourth offensive coordinator, you know, going into, into year three. Uh, and if you count Mike McDaniel, who's calling the plays, that, that, that's five, you know, five offensive coordinators essentially in, in three years. So he's got that to prove. You know, they, they've, they've got to have their offensive line finally come together to protect the guy who's got all this pressure on him. And I don't know if they can run the ball. So I, I think they're going to be a good team. But I also kind of think in the last couple of years they, they've had these really bad starts, um, these really long win streaks, kind of middle to end of the season. Uh, against fairly bad teams, so it, it, to me, it's kind of hard to know how good this team, you know, really is. And, and I think that the last couple of years they've really relied heavily on the defense. Uh, of course, that was Brian Flores' baby. Don't know how that's going to quite look this year under uh, under new management. So I still kind of got them in that that 500 plus or so range. But um, and, and also again, I mean, competitive conference, and I, I just don't know if the Dolphins our top seven and you may, maybe I'd like them better if they were in the AFC South where, where somebody's got to go to the playoffs. But, yeah. Um, and as for new England, you know, I, they've got their own issues, but I, I, I have to give, give Bill Belichick a tip of the hat. I mean, they were, they were 10 and seven last year. You know, he, he's praising Mac Jones. Like I don't think we ever heard him praise Tom Brady. Um, I think that they'll have a plan, a plan ready to go there. And they probably things that, for usual, the Patriots are probably going to show up as a chameleon and, 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 and approach games that, differently than the, the team's game plan for them. So, you know, I don't think they're going to challenge the Bills. But, you know, you guys watched the Patriots long enough, and, and even the last couple of years out, Tom Brady, you know that they're going to, they're going to have a fighting chance uh, most weeks Final. before they got the roster. More from USA Today's Nate Davis on the other side. You're listening to WGR. All right, USA Today's Nate Davis. He was on with Howard and Jeremy earlier this week. Here's the rest of that interview. Sorry about that. Final thing for you, Nate. NFC. Look, in the AFC, we consider the Bills, Chiefs, Chargers, Bengals, Ravens. We can talk about a lot of teams that have legitimate Super Bowl hopes, right? How many are in the NFC? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, for, for me, as we sit here right now, it's really hard for me to, to, to think that anyone's legit outside of the Packers, the Rams, um, and the Bucks. Uh, and, and maybe that changes, but I, I just don't have a whole lot of faith that anybody in the NFC East is, is really going to pose, you know, a serious challenge to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, and then, then, you know, I feel like I feel like that you know, the, the Bucks and the, and the Packers, you almost want to crown them division champs now, given how those divisions seem to stack up. Um, 49ers are, I think, going to be good again. Um, but obviously, there's a huge X factor there with, with how how that team responds to Trey Lance and how long it takes him to kind of, you know. Get, get get into a comfort zone as, as, as the guy. So, you, to, to me, it, it's going to come down to, to the, those three teams I mentioned, and, and it could be any one of them. And actually, I, I had the Packers uh, being the one that sneaks through because I think maybe having less less of a spotlight on them this year and maybe being a less predictable team that doesn't target Devontae Adams 20 times a game might, might make them a little bit more effective, particularly in January when a good defense and a good running game, which I think is what they should rely on more this year, can, can, can take you a little ways. Nate, thank you again for finding time for us this morning on the show. And uh, we always enjoy having you on. Enjoy the football season, sir. That was Nate Davis of the USA Today. Coverage of Buffalo Bills training camp on WGR is brought to you by Fiegel, Carr, and Joyce, your border attorneys. Buy New York's outlet liquor when you need to stock up. It's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? By Northtown Kia, the number one certified pre-owned Kia dealer in the eastern region. Shop Kia. Shop Northtown Kia. 
Com. Fred, let's go to do it for me. Nate Geary here live from St. John Fisher University. Local coverage begins Monday morning. Howard and Jeremy right back here from St. John Fisher University on WGR.